Good afternoon, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's great to see you today. Uh, it's good to be out of quarantine. I had COVID last week, um, but I tested negative now, so I'm glad to be here. But, uh, you know, I, I really thought it was no big deal because I didn't get COVID this whole time. But this time, uh, when I got COVID, it kicked my butt. Um, the first time I felt like sickness was overtaking me. But thank God, thank you for your prayers and for your concern. And uh, yeah, definitely um, COVID-free, but still feeling the fatigue because I'm an old man. So that's what happens. <laughs> but can we, before we begin, can we just say uh, Happy Father's Day to our Heavenly Father? Happy Father's Day <laughs> to our good and faithful Father. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to continue our sermon series on serving. And past two weeks, you know, Pastor Dave has talked about the why we are to serve and the how, the motivation by which we are to serve with a the, with the pure heart, with you know, giving of our first fruits. And uh, today I'm going to cover that briefly, but uh, more specifically talking about the what. The what is it that God is calling us to do? The what and the, and the, the who, and then the, of course the how we're to do it. Uh, so that's what we'll be looking at today. So let's take our Bibles and turn to John 13, verse 1 through 17. John 13, 1 through 17. I'll give you a moment to turn to that. John 13, 1 through 17. And I always encourage you, try to imagine yourself in the story and let yourself be immersed in God's word. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garment, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not now understand, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The word of God to us today. Please take a moment to look at that yourself. Unbelievable service. 
title of today's message is Unbelievable Service. What does God expect from his people? I think from the reading of today's scripture, it's very obvious that he expects us to serve each other in the church and those outside of the church just as Christ has so unbelievably served us first. So one application question that would come out from today's passage is this. In what ways are you serving others in Christ-likeness? In what ways are you serving others in Christ-likeness? Now, before we can unpackage the unbelievable service of Christ that he's given to his disciples, I think it's important that we first need to understand the core of where his service is flowing from. Why does he do such unbelievable service to his disciples? Well, we see from verse 1 and verse 3 that he understands that his time has come, his hour has come, and he is leaving the world and he's going back to the Father. He recognizes that the trappings of this world, it's over. It's temporal. He's not grasping onto the possessions or hurriedly trying to climb up the ladder of promotion or trying to squeeze out every ounce of pleasure and opportunity and adventure before he leaves this world that the society often summons us to. Rather, his heart, his concern is that his words, his actions, his life is glorifying to the Father. He knows he goes to be back with the Father. How different would our lives be ordered and our priorities be ordered if we live with the conscious reality that we are going to be with the Father now and not yet? How different would we order our lives if we had that awareness? And Jesus' time has come, and he wants to be sure that what eternally matters is passed on to his disciples. Why? Because as it says here, he loves his disciples, his own, and he loves them to the end. What a profound and simple way, simple yet profound way of saying that he loves them. You see, Jesus, he knows that all 11 of the disciples are going to deny him. They're going to flee. And he also knows that one is going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver in just a few short hours. But even knowing this, his love for them does not end. His love is not a conditional love. His love is not a temporary love. His love is not an earthly love. It is otherworldly. It is supernatural. It is the agape love of God that is faithful even when all else is unfaithful. Now, he not only serves unbelievably, he loves unbelievably. We see in verse 3 that the Father had put all things under his power. All things are under his power. And so that tells us that as Jesus is going to be betrayed, handed over to the authorities, beaten, humiliated, and ultimately crucified on the cross, he's not going as a powerless victim. He's not just being helplessly, you know, pulled along the current of wickedness and violence. He is fully in control. Full of power, he is going on his own volition, knowing what great redemption he will purchase for sinners and what awesome glory that awaits him. Since all things are under his power, this also tells us that his service is not because he needs anything from anybody else. All things are already under his power. His service is absolutely holy. His service is absolutely pure. It's not to get better ratings, more clicks on the stars. 
It's not to get more cash flow. It's not to go viral on TikTok or to get some kind of publicity or to make a profit. His serving of his disciples is pretty much himself giving of himself to add and to benefit his disciples. Again, even though all of them would just return to him denial and betrayal. Biblical scholar D.A. Carson says this. He provides a very stark viewpoint. Jesus knew not only that the time had come for him to leave this world, but that he had come from God and that the Father had put all things under his power. With such power and status at his disposal, we might have expected him to defeat the devil in an immediate and flashy confrontation and to devastate Judas with an unstoppable blast of divine breath. Instead, he washes his disciples' feet, including the feet of the betrayer. Why is Jesus able to do such unbelievable service? Because he's returning to the Father. All things are given to him. He loves. Brothers and sisters, this is where the heart and the flow comes from in order for him to serve in such a powerful way. So now let's look at the story and what's going on here. So the disciples and Jesus are in the upper room having the Passover meal. So the meal would be in the center of the room, and there will be mats that they would lay upon, and most likely on their left arm, they lay you know, horizontally, their feet facing out, and then they would use their hands to dip into the food. So all the feet are hanging off outside of the, the circle, in a sense. And as they're reading, as they're eating, all of a sudden, Jesus gets up, and he takes off his outer garment. And then he puts on a towel around his waist. I can imagine the disciples are probably wondering, what what, what is Jesus doing? Is he hot? Because, you know, we take off outer garments when it's hot. And Israel is pretty warm. And then all of a sudden, he takes a towel and wraps it around his waist, and he goes, um, what? Is Jesus, um, is he role acting right now? Because why would he put on the, the outfit of a servant? Because that's what slaves wore. That was the garb of slaves in ancient Middle Eastern times. Is he role playing? Is he acting? And then Jesus goes over and gets a basin of water and begins to pour water. And now he goes over to each of his disciples' feet and begins to wash their dirty feet. It doesn't say how many of the disciples' feet Jesus washed, but Peter seems to be the representative of all of their discomfort. They're all discomforted by this. But Peter kind of has a loud mouth, right? He speaks. And he says this, in essence, what are you doing? What are you doing? Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Never. It wasn't registering to Peter. You see, washing someone's feet in Jesus' times was such a demeaning task that even Jewish male slaves were uh, commanded, in a sense, not to wash people's feet. Washing people's feet was only for Gentile slaves, and sadly, because in that culture, it was women and children only washed feet. In fact, as we look at this story, the disciples had not even washed each other's feet because it was such a demeaning thing. But here is the Lord. He's going to wash my feet. See, Lord and wash my feet don't ever go together, does it? It's like, King, mop my floors. It doesn't go together. President, clean my toilet. It doesn't go together. CEO, take out my trash. It doesn't go together. People in positions of power don't do such menial tasks. 
that is left to people of insignificant stature. But Jesus, being God in the flesh, is showing us the character of God, the humility and the humbleness of God. In verse 7, Jesus says this to Peter, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. This is in the NIV version. You do not understand, you do not realize what I'm doing, but now, but later you will understand. So what is Jesus doing? That is perplexing to me because it's very obvious what you're doing. You're washing their feet in an act of humility. Isn't it? Isn't that obvious what he's doing? But Jesus says, you do not realize now what I'm doing. So let's think about this. What is Jesus doing? What's he doing? He says this, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. His unbelievable service to them is so that they would have a part with Jesus. You see, unless you receive my unbelievable act of service from my hands, from my grace, and from my love, you have no part with me. Unless you understand how I have first served you, first loved you, first chosen you, first forgiven you, even knowing you're going to betray me, you have no part with me. You see, because if you don't understand this, if you have not first received his unbelievable service, then what ends up happening is your relationship with God only becomes religion. Your acts of service to God only becomes guilt-based, self-motivated, or out of a sense of moral obligation. I think many people who go to church goes, oh man, when it comes to serving, oh gosh, okay, I guess I got to serve. I guess it's the right thing to do. All right, I, I know I'm supposed to do something back for God. You see, unless you know the serving heart of God, your religion, your, your relationship with God, your serving only becomes a religion. You see, what the disciples needed most, what you and I need most, is not a God who tells us, you got to serve, 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 serve. But rather, an intimate, personal relationship with the servant king who has first served you and gave his life for you on the cross. In the real essence, if you look at this passage and all the scripture, Jesus is our greatest servant. I know that's hard to say because we don't want to call him a servant. We call him Lord. We call him master. We call him king of kings. But the truth is he is, all, he is also our greatest servant. And when we receive his service, when we receive and surrender to his unbelievable service, what happens? It amazes us. We can't hold it in. And, and I'll give you an example. We've all experienced this. Uh, how many of you remember a time uh, you went to a place and they provided this amazing service? Can you guys remember that? Take a moment to think about it. Some place you went to, whether it be a hotel or a restaurant, and the service was just amazing. You couldn't hold it in, right? For me, it was on my honeymoon with my wife. Uh, we were fortunate enough to go to Hawaii, and specifically the island of Maui. Maui, the island of love. <laughs> Landing that was beautiful. We got a, got a rental car. We drove to the hotel Maui Prince. As soon as we came to the hotel, the attendants came out. They're wearing their Hawaiian shirts. And they came up to our car door and they said, Aloha, welcome to Hawaii. And the Maui Prince, they opened the door like, thank you. And we're opening the trunk. goes, no, no, no. Sir, leave your trunk, leave your stuff there. We'll bring it up to your room. 
oh, thank you. And we walk into the hotel, and there's these you know, Hawaiian ladies wearing their Hawaiian sundress with the beautiful lace. And they go, aloha, welcome to Hawaii. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And then they take off the lace, and they put it over our heads. It smells so nice, the smell of the flowers, whatever it is. And then they give you like this silver tray with this pink drink. I don't know what it was. It was ice cold. There's like condescension on the outside. It was a hot day. And, oh, guava juice, so good. From that moment, I was addicted. I was hooked. I love Maui. I love Maui Prince. Everywhere my wife and I would go, if we would go to the beach or to Luau, we would meet new people and say, hey, where are you guys from? They're like, oh, Chicago or, or Florida or Europe or South America. But it would always end with, isn't Maui great? Isn't Maui great? Even when it was raining and we couldn't go to the beach, it was still great. And then after we came back from Maui with tears in our eyes, when any friend we saw, we would tell them, Maui is awesome. You guys should go. And especially if you're going to go on honeymoon, go to Maui Prince. I became Maui Prince's number one ambassador. And they didn't have to pay me. Because that's what happens when you receive great service. What does Jesus do? He serves them so unbelievably. Do you know the service of the Lord? Do you know the heart and the love that he has for you? And for some of you today, the message that you need to hear is you need to stop being like Peter, saying, no, 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 never. No, you can't wash my feet. I got this. I got this. And it says, Lord, I really need you. I really need you. Because unless you wash me, I have no part with you. My life is just about obligation, just about duty, just about guilt instead of the overflow of what your love has done in my life. Your service has done in my life. But you see, but that's not it. That's not, just, that's not just it there. Because Jesus says, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but you will later. Like later when? Is it later after Jesus explains to them in verse 12 and 17? Or is it after Peter denies Jesus three times? Does he realize it then? Or is it after that Jesus is crucified and dies on the cross and put in a tomb? Is it then he realizes? Or is it after Jesus rises from the dead? What is this later he will understand? Now, a faithful reading of Scripture would tell us that Peter's understanding is cumulative. It is progressive. He understands a portion of it when Jesus explains in verse 12 through 17. Okay, my teacher and Lord has done this. I, as a disciple, I should follow his example. But then, after Jesus is arrested, he's beaten and is crucified and put into a tomb, I can, to a certain degree, imagine Peter saying, this is what happens when you give yourself sacrificially? This is what happens when I give myself to serve others? Why should I serve others then? Why should I follow Jesus' example? When all that comes out of it is being trampled upon, being rejected, being taken advantage of, being stripped naked and dead and alone. If it's only the crucifixion and the tomb, forget that. Instead, I will serve my own interest. I will preserve myself for my own gain. But you and I, we know on the third day, Jesus rises from the grave. Just like he said he would. Unbelievable. 
The evidence here is that Jesus is the Son of God. He is victorious over sin and death. Peter's understanding undoubtedly increases. Oh my goodness, Jesus isn't just an earthly teacher or a prophet. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Son of God, and he has washed my feet. The finite has been served by the infinite one. Peter understands more and more through Jesus' resurrection that, you know what? All sacrificial service rendered to God never returns back void, but is rewarded instead with greater blessing. Our service to the Lord and to others will never be worthless. It will always be credited to us by God, if not here in the temporal, for sure in the eternal. Sure, Peter is thinking, now I understand why Jesus said, build your treasures not on earth where must, you know, rust and, and moth and thieves steal and kill and take away, but build up treasures in heaven by the way you serve others, by the way you sacrificially and unbelievably serve others with God's love. And if you need a reference for that, please look at Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. I'm not going to look at that today. But Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46, Peter understands that service I do to others, even when it looks like it ends in nothing but death, realizes God keeps a record of all that I have done in sacrificial loving service to him, to others, and he awards me, and I'm blessed. But here's the danger side. If this is what sacrificial serving unto the Lord or unbelievable service to God to others looks like, what does it look like when you don't serve God and you don't serve others? What does it look like when your life is not caring about others' needs and you don't give thought to how to serve others, but it's only about yourself? What does it look like? It looks like Judas. It looks like Judas, who chose, even though Jesus washed his feet, he didn't receive Jesus. Jesus washed Judas's feet, Yes but he didn't receive Jesus. He took the action of Jesus, but he didn't actually receive Jesus. And as a result, he went out from that moment and gave himself over to Satan, took 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus, and he was serving his own purposes. And as a result, he is cursed. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us not to a life of Judas, but to a life like Jesus you see, what we see here as Jesus washes their feet, he reveals the character and the heart of God. In fact, in Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus says this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for money. Jesus didn't come here because he needs anything from you. He doesn't need anything from me. He, he is the ruler of all the universe, creator of all things. But it's that he came to serve us because he saw how much we were in need, how lost we were. And he gave his life as a ransom. So we see the character and the heart of God. But also from this, we see what is the nature of those who are in the kingdom of God. For those of us who say, Jesus is my master and Lord, Jesus is telling us, then this is what your nature should be like. This is how you should respond. He defines the standard of serving. The standard of serving is not based on what is maximally beneficial for you. 
Your serving is not set by what is maximally beneficial for you. Do this because you're going to get rich. Do this because you'll get recognition or you'll get some favorable outcome. That's not the standard for serving. His standard for serving is not set on what is culturally acceptable. Do this because you're going to be maximally beneficial for your community. Your, your community will accept you and they'll recognize you. They'll appreciate you. They'll pat you on the back. That's not the standard that Jesus sets for serving. Jesus sets the standard completely on the condition of his hierarchy, of his lordship. You call me master and lord, for that is what I am. Do you call Jesus your master and lord? If you don't, you're already living on your own thing anyway. But if you claim to call Jesus your master and lord, then what are we to do? To follow his example to be a disciple in his likeness. Then it be, therefore, it becomes clear how to gauge if you are living the life of a disciple. It's very clear. Check your following. Check your serving. Does it look like Christ's likeness? Or is it maximally for your own comfort, maximally for your own benefit, maximally for your own desire? Here is a genuine but dangerous prayer, but I believe very necessary prayer for us those of us who claim to be followers of Christ. How do we live this out? I think this is the genuine but dangerous prayer. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to serve today? I know most of us, when we wake up in the morning, that's probably not our prayer, right? Oh, God, I got so much work. I got all these things. I have so many problems in my life. and It becomes a lot about us. And there's nothing wrong with that. We are to come to God with our struggles. But if we understand that God has first served us unbelievably, that we know that in Christ we are returning to the Father, that He loves us to the end, that all things are given to us as we are seated with Christ, then it should be that we start to move from just praying for ourselves to start praying, Lord, who do you want me to serve and how do you want me to do it? But it's a dangerous prayer. Because God very well may say to you, I want you to be like he said to Barnabas. Sell your possessions and give it to those in need. It's a dangerous prayer because he may very well say to you, go and tell your boss, who's a staunch atheist, that I love him and that I want to lead him through his dark times. It's a dangerous prayer because God may very well tell you, I want you to get to church early, 15 minutes early, and just intercede and pray for your fellow brothers and sisters. He may say to you, Thomas, in a hostile environment, open up the scriptures and ask them to study the Bible with you. It's a genuine prayer because you're asking God, God, I want part with you. But it's a dangerous prayer. Jesus washing their feet was very, very personal. It's what they really needed. The humble, loving touch of the servant king. And here's the thing. When, I'm telling you, when, I'm, when God's telling us that we should ask him what, to, what he wants to do, it's not because he wants us to do more stuff. Please be mindful of that. But rather, it is about building our relationship deeply with the Lord. You see, Jesus' interaction with his disciples was very personal, and it was desperately what they needed. It was personally what they needed, and Jesus responded in his unbelievable service. Because serving like Christ-likeness isn't necessarily mean do more busy things. It means this, obeying God's voice 
even if it's costly, sacrificial, and requires your life to do it, all for the glory of God. You know, back in 2010 um, was the release of the first iPad ever, Apple iPad. And I'm a techie guy, and I really like tech stuff. So I read, was reading about it, and then it was all sold out. And there was a wait list. And then around September, October, they're coming out you know, with the new batch of the first iPads. And I called my mom. I said, Mom, and this is when I was in Korea, please send me an iPad, please. And she's like, how much is it? I'm like, it's $6.99. And she's like, oh, it's expensive. I said, like, please, please. And so she bought an Apple iPad, and she got a leather cover, and even with the, the, the wireless keyboard attached to it, right? So it came, and I was the first person in Korea, that, at least that I knew, who had the Apple, Apple iPad. And I was like showing it off, like, check out my iPad, put my sermons on there, you know, open it up, type it away, read on it. I was just so happy to carry it around with me everywhere. And then like just two weeks into having my iPad, kind of all set up, I was praying and preparing for the sermon, and it was getting close to Christmas time. And I just felt like, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? Or do you want me to, you know, how do you want me to serve you? Like, that's what I was like, how do you want me to serve? And he said to me, give away your Apple iPad. And I was like, no, 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 Lord, no, no. You, you, like, you know, as a pastor, I'm used to giving my time. You can call me two in the morning, I'll be there. As a pastor, I'm used to giving biblical advice and spending time in God's word. But, you know, it's not like we have that much stuff. So whatever we have is very, like, we treasure it. Give away, I was like, no, 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 no. And then that Sunday came around, and I just felt like God was telling me, give it away. So I looked at the front row, and there was this young man named Mike. He's a college student. I said, hey, Mike. And he's like, yeah. I was like, um, God wants me to give you the iPod, my iPod. And everybody in the conference is like, what? No, because they know how much I loved it. And like, God wants me to give it to you. He's like, really? I was like, yeah. But I was like crying. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I, I didn't want to let it go. I was like, no, yeah. <laughs> And he received it, and uh, I went home, and I just felt like the Lord said to me, Doug, the person who receives the gifts, they will never know how much it costs. And in the same way, you and I, we will never know how much it costs our Lord Jesus Christ to go to the cross unless we know what it feels like to give sacrificially like he did. And that becomes a blessing because you come to know Jesus more, your Lord and your Master more. That's the blessing. And so I went up to him a week later. I was like, oh, so how's the, how's the iPad doing? He goes, I sold it. I was like, no. <laughs> no. He goes, but I was able to get triple the value, and I was able to get a laptop. Because I was asking God in the beginning of the semester, next semester, how can I go through school? I don't have a laptop. But God provided it. So I said, okay, God. You never know what your giving was going to result in, your serving is going to result in. Sometimes it's a one-time thing like Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Other times, it's a longer commitment, like being a community group leader, serving for three and a half months at a time, or being a, being a mini's teacher. Or it could be something like going to your work 15 minutes early and just praying for your coworkers. No one else sees, but the Lord, your God, he sees your service. When we live our life marked by unbelievable serving heart of Christ, when we live our life like this, you know what happens? God sees, and sometimes others see it. And they will say this, you look like Christ. You look like Christ. And isn't that what it means to be blessed? To be Christ-like. Let's pray together.